This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This morning, we will be looking at our gospel passage from the Gospel of Luke. And you can find it printed, uh, you can find it on page 862 in the Pew Bible. So I encourage you to grab a Pew Bible and pull that out, and we'll look at it in just a minute. And while you do that, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're both using the same word, but you come to find out in the course of that conversation that you both have an entirely different understanding of what that word means? Conversations like that can have rather disastrous consequences sometimes. Let me give you an example from my childhood with my mom. It was almost Easter, and mom had bought this big, beautiful, purple flower. And she had placed it on the dining room table. She was going to display it there for our Easter festivities. And then she had moved into the kitchen, and she had laid out all kinds of ingredients on the counter to start baking. Enter Steve into the room while mom walks out for a minute and she hears, Mom, this flower stinks. To which mom replied, Well, then throw it away. So I took the big, beautiful purple flower and I threw it in the trash can. Um, It's also important to note here, my mom wants this part of the story to be told. She said, you didn't just throw it in the trash can, you mangled it all up before you did, which I believe to be the case because I have kids now, and I have seen these sort of random acts of aggression from time to time. So I go out the door to go play basketball with my friends. I come back a few hours later, and there's my mom weeping, holding the remnants of her purple flower. What did you do? And I said, Mom, I said, the flower stinks. And you said, throw it out. And her eyes got really big. Oh, I thought you were talking about the baking flour in the kitchen. See, flour, one word, two very different meanings. So in our passage today from the Gospel of Luke, there's a very important word, and that word is kingdom. But before we turn to Luke, I was reminded of another moment in the Gospel of John where two people are having a conversation with that word in it a lot, kingdom. But they're talking about two very different things. And the consequences of that misunderstanding are quite disastrous. It's the famous exchange between Jesus and Pilate, which we've included on the sermon page in your bulletin. So here they are, both talking about kings and kingdoms. But you can see that Pilate is very much concerned with an earthly kingdom. Are you the king of the Jews, he asks Jesus. But Jesus, on the other hand, is speaking about a very different kind of kingdom. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. They're using the same word. Pilate uses the word king twice in this conversation. Jesus uses the word king or kingdom four times. But they're talking about entirely different things. They're each concerned about an entirely different kind of kingdom. So looking at our passage from Luke this morning, it's known as the Beatitudes. And it's one of the very first teachings that Jesus gives to his disciples. 
And we see here that Jesus wants his disciples, unlike Pilate, to be able to distinguish between two very different kingdoms and to spend their lives in pursuit of the right one. The Beatitudes are found in two places, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to find the way of blessing. And we see in verses 20 to 23 here in Luke, as we also see in the passage from Matthew, that Jesus has this bookend blessing that is heaven itself. In verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's how Jesus begins. And then in verse 23, those who have been reviled on account of Jesus are promised the great reward in heaven. The Beatitudes are about the kingdom of heaven and the blessings that lie within that kingdom. And what's unique to our lectionary gospel from Luke today, from Matthew, is that he gives us this picture of contrast with a section on blessing and then this opposite section on woes that we can see down there in verses 24 and 26. So if the blessings are a description of the kingdom of heaven, this other section is a warning for those who are pursuing a different kingdom, the kingdom of this world. Two very different kingdoms, same word, very different meanings. And seeking the wrong kingdom can, in fact, have disastrous consequences. So out of our passage this morning, I, I want us to work on distinguishing between these two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And in particular, I want to draw out three distinctions of the kingdom of heaven. So here's the outline. Distinction number one, the kingdom of heaven stretches so much farther. Number two, the kingdom of heaven goes so much deeper. And then third, the kingdom of heaven has the true king. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven stretches so much further, goes so much deeper, and has the true king. So the first distinction, the kingdom of heaven stretches so much farther. We could start by just asking who was present as Jesus gave this teaching. Right before our passage begins this morning, back in verse 12, we see that Jesus had gone up to pray on the mountain all night before choosing his 12 apostles. And after selecting them, he comes down the next morning and is greeted by many other people who had come to see Jesus. Verse 17 first tells us that there was a great crowd of his disciples, many others besides the apostles who were already followers of Jesus. But also, Luke tells us, a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and also the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So Luke draws out Tyre and Sidon specifically, which is really interesting because these are Gentile cities who have been, over the course of the history of the Bible, very much at odds with the people of Israel, stretching way back into the Old Testament. Not only that, these cities are not next-door neighbors of Jerusalem and the greater Judean area. Um, in fact, they are way far north. You would have to walk all the way through Judea and then 
all the way through Samaria, up north to the other side and out before you would get to Tyre and Sidon. So Luke is pointing out just how far Jesus was reaching people, just how far he was reaching them geographically, but I think also how far Jesus was reaching people in terms of their religion and their culture. But Luke tells us more. He tells us about the people and what they were like that were coming to see him. There in verse 18. People who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. These are the outcasts of society. The sick, the lame, the unstable. So even though Luke tells us down in verse 20 that Jesus was specifically teaching his disciples, there stands this great multitude around those disciples, people who are not yet followers of Jesus, but who were drawn to him, who had come from very far away and wanted to hear him, and they needed to be healed by him. Jesus is speaking to his followers, but everyone gets to listen in. If the disciples are the students, he's happy for the crowd to sit in on the lecture, to audit the class, if you will, to decide if they'd like to join. And what does this motley crew of foreigners and social outcasts hear when Jesus starts speaking? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Regardless of what earthly kingdom they come from, regardless of their earthly status or worth, the kingdom of heaven is available to them. They're not yet disciples of Jesus, but the invitation has just been extended. And that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming, a kingdom that stretches far and wide and is offered freely to anyone who would seek him. And the people who often find their way to Jesus are those who realize that they need him those who have not found their satisfaction in the kingdom of this world, or who have perhaps been cast aside in that kingdom. I think we could take a safe guess at the type of people who weren't there. There probably weren't too many people who were wealthy and highly respected figures who traveled far to hear Jesus, even though they did not feel like they had much in particular that they needed from him. And if anyone like that was there, they would have heard what Jesus said in verses 24 and 25, that there is an inherent danger in their earthly blessing. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So it's plain to see here that Jesus is turning the paradigm of earthly blessing on its head. But that shouldn't be confused with the idea that he's merely flipping the scales as if it were 
a form of divine retribution. Jesus is not saying that the rich are disqualified by by virtue of their wealth or that the poor are automatically in the kingdom of heaven. A mere flipping of the earthly scales is a pretty uninspiring picture of the kingdom of heaven. The distinction of the kingdom of heaven from the kingdom of this world is that it is good news for everyone because earthly qualifications get you nowhere. In fact, Matthew's version of the Beatitudes has Jesus proclaiming, blessed are the poor in spirit. So I believe Jesus is saying that the lure and the distraction of wealth and earthly comfort is very dangerous. You cannot keep a foot in both kingdoms at the same time. Jesus was clear at other moments that it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we also see in Scripture places where that's exactly what happened. Do you remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who Luke describes as very rich? And after his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus declares, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. To which Jesus replies, Today salvation has come to this house. The radically good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of heaven stretches out to anyone who recognizes their need of Jesus and seeks after him. Whoever humbles his or herself, Jesus says, will be exalted. All right, second distinction. The kingdom of heaven goes so much deeper. I think this was Pilate's great mistake, wasn't it? He couldn't understand the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. And he couldn't imagine that the kingdom Jesus was referring to would actually outlast the kingdom that he was so concerned about, the Roman Empire. As we look at this list of blessings and woes here in Jesus' teaching, I want to point out in contrast two words that Jesus uses several times. The word now and the word shall. Look at verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. There's an emphasis in the kingdom of this world on satisfying your current desire, meeting your current need, alleviating your current burden now, as soon as possible. But compare that up there in verse 21 where Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall weep, for you shall laugh. And remember here that Jesus is talking most directly to his disciples, to his followers. He's promising them deep and lasting blessing. It shall happen. But it hasn't happened yet, at least not in full, right? It requires waiting. Why? Why Why does it require waiting? What is Jesus waiting for to bestow his blessings upon his disciples? 
Okay, so on a personal note, I think I have come to accept at this point that I fit squarely in the category of middle age. Um, I don't get confused as a college student anymore. I have a college student now. My back hurts all the time. I think I've, I think I've made it into that category. Um, and although there are many people in this room who have lived through more seasons of life and who have much greater wisdom to offer than I do, I do think I've lived through enough seasons at this point to venture a guess as to why Jesus calls his followers to wait on his promises. And it's not that he's still working on getting the heavenly reward ready for me, but rather that Jesus is doing the deep work of getting me ready for that heavenly reward. Personally, I would really love to live a comfortable and simple life. But it's as if there's this gravitational pull of the kingdom of God that continues to allow challenging and sometimes painful experiences into my life. And my efforts to live comfortably often simply feel thwarted, as if the Lord wants to remind me that I cannot keep my feet in both kingdoms at the same time. It's almost like he views life's challenges as opportunities to teach me to surrender my life fully to him so that he can start shaping my heart and my character for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. So if you ever just stopped to simply ask, what is the long-term project that the Lord has going on in my life? What is the deep internal work that he's doing in you? I suppose the next question would be, have you accepted that work? Are you surrendered to that deep work? Or are you fighting against it? Are you trying to keep a foot in both kingdoms? If there's a heaven-ordained gravitational pull that you're fighting against, then you're like a surfer trying to force their way constantly through one wave after another as it strikes against you. Instead of accepting and surrendering to the moon's gravitational pull and the direction it wants to send you with those waves. And I think it's in that place of surrender where the blessings that Jesus is talking about begin to permeate your life even now. Slowly, you're able to start to recognize hunger and longing, and yes, even persecution or attack or reviling because of your faith. You begin to be able to recognize these as signs that you're on the path towards the kingdom of heaven, that the Lord is in fact doing a very deep work in your life. I've got a, a pastor friend of mine who I thought expressed this really beautifully. He said, as Christians, we think that simply believing and receiving is the, is the climax of our spiritual story. But the truest and deepest and lasting joy comes not when we believe, not when we receive the gift of life, but when we surrender that life back to God. The kingdom of heaven goes so much deeper than chasing after any fleeting comforts of this world. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, then he wants to do the deep work of preparing you for the kingdom of heaven. Okay, last distinction, and I think it's the most important one. The kingdom of heaven has the true king. Jesus is the true king because Jesus leads the way into the kingdom that he describes here. I mean, if you look at verses 20 to 23, does it not paint the picture of the life that Jesus himself lived? Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. He left his father's throne and humbled himself to share in our human poverty. Jesus, who hungered and thirsted many times throughout his earthly life and for 40 days in the wilderness as he conquered every temptation that Satan threw at him. Jesus, who wept and shed tears many times, including tears of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, who was reviled and spat upon as he endured hatred, mocking, and persecution on the way to the cross. But of course, Jesus, as Scripture says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and by his death, resurrection, and ascension claimed his heavenly throne and has made a way for us to enter into his kingdom. And all his disciples are called to follow the same path as him, to become like him in our suffering and to enter into the same joy as him. It's a call to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow our king. There's some lists in the Bible, right, that are meant to be traits that are dispersed equally amongst the people of God, like Paul's list of the various spiritual gifts, for instance. But the traits listed in the Beatitudes are meant to be the fruit on display in the life of every single Christian, yours and mine. And Jesus is the true king because not only does he lead the way into the kingdom, but he also, in fact, empowers us to follow him into the kingdom. Because let's remember, at least for now, there is another kingdom. And at least for now, it is ruled by someone else. In the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. And we know from the first few chapters in Scripture that he's crafty, that he's a deceiver, and that he seeks to keep us away from the kingdom of heaven. He's got a lot of tactics, a lot of ways that he tries to do that. It can look like temptation, or shame, or pride, or disillusionment. But we have the same, defense against, the same defense against all the schemes of the enemies. And our defense is Jesus himself. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin and our shame. The body of Jesus at the table and in his church that feeds and supports us on the journey. The words of Jesus that strengthen and uphold us. And of course, the spirit of Jesus, who fills us and sanctifies us day by day, forming us more into his likeness. Jesus is the true king who leads the way into the kingdom of heaven. 
and empowers his people, his disciples, to follow him. Now, I imagine it wouldn't take too long for each of us to think of a way that we're still trying to keep one foot in the kingdom of heaven and one foot in the kingdom of this world. To think of some way in which the enemy's various tactics to pull us away from the kingdom of heaven have been effective. But I also know that Jesus, in his great love for you, is inviting you back fully into the kingdom of heaven. That invitation might sound something like, repent, or receive forgiveness, or humble yourself, or surrender, or be patient. I pray that whatever that word is, that your heart longs to respond to Jesus, the King of heaven, and that he would pour out upon you all the blessings of his kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.